Hello, everybody. Terrence Lehu here with another episode of the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast. Our guest today is Michael Bell from Dallas Halfacre Farm. He's an urban farmer in, you guessed it, Dallas, Texas. Today, we'll be discussing the challenges and benefits of growing vegetables in Texas, how and why Mike got involved in farming, how he started physical training, rabbits in the garden, and so much more. Don't miss this episode with Michael Bell. Michael Bell, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Now, before we start, I'm actually going to borrow something I learned from uh, listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast. Okay, and, uh, uh, it can't be bad if it's coming from Tim Ferriss. Uh, no, of course not. So one of the things he likes to do is reach out to a mutual friend and ask for a suggestion for a question or anecdote. And so I reached out to Tom and said, hey, I'm going to be interviewing Michael. Do you have any stories or questions you think I should ask? And you'll be shocked, but his first question was, what do you do about troubles with rabbits? Oh, my God, I hate that guy. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because you must have done that yesterday because um, <laughs> I, I went over to the farm Thursday morning before I, before I went to school. I'm a full-time teacher. And um, I've transplanted 122, uh, 120 Salanova lat- transplants, first transplants of the of the fall for us because it's been so hot And on Sunday. And they look great. I only lost like three or four uh, to transplanting uh, Sunday night. And I get there and they're all gone. Like literally probably 85 of my 120 are just gone. Oh, dear goodness. So I, so I start cussing and screaming and ranting and raving, you know, like anybody would. And I get to looking and every one of them have been bitten off at the bottom. You know, you can just tell it's a rabbit. They just, you know, it's not insects. I mean, there's, it's just rabbits. So I, uh, called my dad and my, my dad can do anything, has done everything. And I said, what do you think I should do? What's the easiest cost effective way to do, to do, fix this problem? He said, well, other than shooting them, and I know you're not a very good shot, <laughs> I would, uh, Thanks, Dad. Yeah, well, I'm not, actually. I'm really not. But um, I, he just said, get you some chicken wire and, you know, make you a, a cage to keep them out for, like, you know, a fence to make to, to, to keep them out. He said, make sure you, you fold the, the chicken wire down a foot and lay it across. That way they can't dig under. And I said, okay. So I spent two hours, and it was a long process, but... Next time I do it, it'll take me 20 minutes because now I know exactly how to do it, you know, and everything. And I haven't had any more rabbits, you know, Thursday night or last night get in there. So I think I'm good now. <laughs> well, isn't that the way it is with so many things? If you do it, yes. once you do it that first time, it's figuring out what the process is. And then, like, for example, in podcasting or even farming, it it's what well, the first episode was the most difficult. And once you get that rhythm and routine, then you have a better idea of what you're doing. Yep, exactly. And I'm the poster child for that with my farm. Good God. Can you give me a good example of that? uh, Everything that I do, um, the simple things like when I first, I have no farming background. First of all, all I do, all I've ever done is garden. I've had a garden since I was five years old. Started with my grandma all the way through high school. You know, that's what we would do. We'd be grow tomatoes and peppers during the spring, summer, and fall on her little side garden of her house. So 
when I decided to do this, I just like watched Curtis Stone and JM4TA on YouTube. I was like, God, I would love to make some extra money doing this. And it doesn't look that hard, you know. I mean, farming's complicated, but it's not like rocket science. Yeah. So I said, okay, I can do this. So I like, so prime example is the landscape fabric. I mean, you wouldn't think it'd be that hard to lay landscape fabric straight, but it is and make it tight, you know, so and then when you burn your holes and your landscape fabric to grow in, if it's not tight, it just doesn't burn very well. And then you get different size holes and then your transplants don't fit perfectly. And if it's not straight, you can't lay irrigation lines very well. And it's it, like just like landscape fabric sounds the most simple thing in the world. No, not well, it wasn't for me anyway. Um, you know, plastic on a hoop house on a little tunnel. You know how they make the low tunnels out of electrical conduit? Yeah. Um, I made I made those fine. But then when I put plastic on it the first time, I didn't make it tight enough, so the wind just destroyed it, oh, like overnight. No. So luckily it didn't get that cold. I was excited to do it, so I did it on a night. It was supposed to be like 40, so I didn't lose anything. But I lost, you know, 50 bucks worth of plastic because it just shredded it because I didn't have it tight enough. And I didn't think it was that big of a deal. So I learned... Next time you better make it a lot tighter, especially, you know, in Texas fall season when the winds pick up pretty good. So, and I, I could keep going. I, <laughs> I got a hundred of those, but you get the idea. Yeah. So the other thing Tom said to ask you about was putting trays of seedlings on every windowsill in the house. How does your wife feel about that? Oh, she hates it. She hates it. But I like, like give you a little background on my farm. I started it two years ago on no money like i bought mm-hmm. my half acre for seventy five hundred dollars which was inheritance money from my grandma like she left me seventy five hundred dollars inheritance 20 years ago i never spent it so i bought the i bought the land with her money and it was just fate because the price tag was the exact same dollar amount that she left me wow so i mean it, it, this this whole journey has been nothing but fate uh, you know in my opinion but um so I, don't, so I told my wife, and I didn't tell my wife I was going to buy it. I thought, you know what? This is my inheritance money. Like, this is not. This is way before she came along. And so I'm not even going to ask her. So I just wrote the check, and I was done. She didn't even know I had the inheritance money, to be honest with you. So <laughs> I just wrote the check, bought the land, walked in, said, honey, I bought a half acre. She looked at me. She said, what are you going to do with a half acre? I said, I'm going to farm it, like, like, I've, like I've showed you. Curtis Stone and all those guys on YouTube. I'm going to do that. And she said, she just rolled her eyes and said, oh my God, are you kidding? I was like, no. I said, I'm not going to quit teaching. I'm still going to keep teaching. So anyway, every penny that I've ever made for my farm has gone back into my farm. And not one penny have I spent other than the $400 that I started with um, have I put into the farm. So every penny that I've spent on my farm has come from the money on my farm. So I didn't. I don't have money to go out and buy a greenhouse to propagate, you know, salanova with, mm-hmm. or anything else. So I plant my salanova seeds in 120, you know, plug trays, and the you know I put them up. And two days later, they germinate. And I've you know when it's 110 degrees outside, you can't put them outside. No. So I put them outside for two or three hours, and then about 11 o'clock, I'll bring them in and find a windowsill and put them in and i got windowsill i got trays in my bathroom i've got trays in the windows in the living room 
anything that faces the West, I've got trays in and it drives her nuts. But luckily she hasn't threatened to like leave me or anything. So. Oh, good. Just tell her that you're increasing the oxygen in the house. Yeah. Yeah. I got everything. She just rolls her eyes. It's whatever. Honey. So. <laughs> Sounds like a wonderful woman. <clears throat> she, she, she actually is. She's actually become very patient with me about it. And I think she's beginning to see the opportunity because you know, my sales are picking up and I've got a lot more interest. So I'm kind of thinking she's seeing the dollar signs and letting me get away with a little bit more. So tell us a little bit more about the farm. What year again did you start? I started uh, 2016. Actually, another fate. I signed the paperwork. Um, I signed the paperwork for my farm on my birthday, April 14th of uh, 2016. Well, that way uh, you would never forget it. No, no. I mean, it's 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 uh, pretty easy to remember. Yeah. And then from there, I just started clearing um, space. It hadn't been touched in 15 years. Oh, wow. Uh, the, the guy that owned it before, it's non-residential. It's one of the few parts of Dallas, the city, inside of the city limits of Dallas, it's zoned non-residential. I have no idea why it's zoned that way. Don't really care. I'm glad it is because it made it really cheap. Um, so I just, so it hadn't been touched. It had 10-foot Johnson grass on it. It had some trees on it. It had some knockdown trees that were piled up in the middle. So I found this little spot. It was 2,000 square feet. Took a weed eater, weed eated it down. I bought uh, billboard signs, laid the billboard signs on top of the, the, the place I just weed eated, walked away for it for the month of July, let all that die, decompose, and come back in the spring and, I mean, come back in the fall and planted my first, you know, harvest. And all that was, uh, was, was salad mix. All I grew was salad mix. Salanova, Red Russian kale, Mizuna, and then when it got too cold for the Mizuna, I, I planted spinach and just ran it through the winter. And then as I as I had more time and grew the farm and cleared more space and whatever, I've gotten into tomatoes and bell peppers and zucchini, uh, radishes and beets, and I'm, just a little bit of everything that grows well in, in Texas other than I don't do like beans and peas. They just take, they just take up too much space. You specified grows well in Texas. Now I'm from the northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin area. Could you give me a little bit of an idea of what the growing conditions for Texas, besides what I'd imagine, which would be hot? They suck. Okay. Um, <laughs> June, July, and August is just, and it's gotten really bad the last five years with the heat, and every year's been worse. Um, I don't know if it's global warming, if it's a, if it's a pattern shift, but like this summer was hotter than last summer, which was hotter than last summer. Uh, this summer we had a week in the middle of July that was 108 for seven straight days. Wow. And it was, it killed everything. Like I watered for an hour a day and stuff. I mean, it, it didn't do it. It didn't really die. My tomatoes didn't die, but they quit producing. They quit growing. And they're just now starting to kick back into production. They got, you know, and now we're down into like 95. <laughs> like it's cooled off to 95. So things are starting to produce Arctic. again. Yeah. Like, I mean, we wear sweaters, but not really. <laughs> um, but uh, it's just brutal during the summer. I'm, I'm thinking next summer I may not even try. I may just shut the farm down when everything dies out in July and just gear up to start back September 1st because I just waste so much time watering. And I got no production out of anything. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's how bad it is. Now, I know guys 
um, like there's a there's a farm out in Arizona, uh, Steadfast Farms. I don't know how they do it. They grow lettuce and salad mix and you know crazy stuff in 110 and 15 degree temperature. I don't know if it's a humidity difference because it's a dry 110 out there. When it was 108, we had a heat index of 115 and 120 because the humidity was still 60, 70 percent. How much area of your half acre is in cultivation? Uh, between 12 and 13,000. A half acre is 20, 000, about 20,000 square feet, and I have about 12 to 13,000 in production. And honestly, that's too much oh, for really? me. Yeah, I, I gave away – well, I didn't give away. I, I let a guy that contacted me a couple weeks ago – uh, his name's Josh. He, he wants to get into the stuff that I'm doing. He said, Hey, a guy told me you might have some extra space. I'll clear it. I'll do the work. Just, can I use your space? I said, sure. You know what? I got six 25 foot beds that I'm not going to use in the fall or spring. You can just have those, you know, pay me 30 bucks for water a month and we're good to go. Help me out when I need an extra set of hands. And he was more than happy. So I'm actually going to downsize just a little bit and see if I can't get better at smaller instead of trying to get bigger, which I was told that a thousand times in videos from Curtis and JM and, you know, everybody that I listened to was like, start small, start small, start small. But when you, when you have a half acre and you love to grow stuff, it's hard. It's hard to pull those reins back. When you enjoy it, especially, it can be easy to kind of get a little carried away. Oh yeah. And, and I love to grow and I love to work. Like, I'm, I feel so good right now. I've been up since four, went to the farm at five 30, worked till about seven 45. And now I'm headed home and I feel good. Like I love working. I would work 12 hours a day on my farm if I could. And that is the attitude every farmer needs to have. Oh, if you don't love it, then don't do it because the work is hard. Um, until you get it down to a scientific process or turn your farm into a machine, you don't make a lot of money. So you have to love it. And I tell you, I, I wake up, like, I was so excited this morning to get up and get to the farm. Like, I, I, my alarm didn't even go off. I woke up 15 minutes before my alarm went off just so uh, was, I was just excited to go and work and because the fall is coming on and I can see, because I really haven't got to grow anything in six weeks. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm excited to grow again and make some money. And I miss, I miss delivering my, my stuff to my customers because I know how excited they get. So I, I just miss it. Now, I'm curious, just because it made me think of it, did that hurricane last year affect you at all? Uh, no. Okay. No, we, no, we didn't get any. Unfortunately, this sounds really bad, but anytime there's a hurricane in the Gulf, people in Dallas get excited. <laughs> we really do, because we usually get some residual rain out of it in three or four days of cooler weather. But the hurricane that hit Houston that caused all the flooding, it never moved. Like, everybody thought the hurricane was was so bad it wasn't the hurricane that was so bad it was the fact that it never moved uh -huh. it it hit land shore and then it just stayed there and rotated so it just rotated sucked moisture out of the air uh, over the gulf and then would spin around and, and dump it on houston and corpus and like it, it, it just sucked usually that stuff comes straight up into dallas or it goes into you know louisiana and arkansas and that way we didn't get a drop we didn't even get any cooler weather if anything it was worse because we got the humidity from it Oh, so all the bad part and none of the benefit. Yeah, that's usually the story of life in Dallas. Water is obviously one of the big challenges to farming in Texas. I, I heard from your interview with Tom on Small Scale Life that you get your water from the church nearby. Is that true? Yep. How did yep. that come about? 
so as I said, when we first started, my farmland is zoned non-residential. Um, the church was there before they zoned it non-residential. So of course they have running water and everything. Well, I, I don't have running water. I can't get running water from the city of Dallas because it's zoned non-residential. So at the time I thought, Oh, I'll make it work. Well, when I bought the land, I was like, I'll make it work. I'll haul water. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll figure something out. Well, luckily about six months after I started farming that fall, um, there's an older preacher. The, the church is small. It maybe have 150 members in it. There's a 70 year old skinny, nice looking black guy next door working on an old shed. And, you know, I could see he was struggling with him and I'm, I'm 30, 39 years old. I'm pretty good shape. So, I was like, hey, bud, you need some help? So I went over and introduced myself, and I helped him for about an hour on his shed. And I just happened to look at the wall that faces my farm. It's about 120 feet from my fence line. And there was a spigot in the wall, a water spigot. And I looked at him, I was like, hey, bud, what would you say if I paid your water bill every month if I could use that water spigot right there? I'll give you $100 cash right now as earnest money so you don't think I'm trying to screw anybody over or anything. He looked at me and said, well, I don't think that's a problem. You seem like a good guy, and if you're willing to pay me three months in advance, then, yeah, that's fine. I said, your water bill is $35 a month? And he said, $3,709. It has been for 20 years. Or, you know, it hasn't gone, you know, just the price of regular increase. But he goes, we never go over the minimum amount. So ours is we don't do irrigation or anything to water our, our yard or anything. So, yeah, it's been $37. So I got to thinking, I was like, you know what? This is perfect because those guys flush the toilets on Wednesdays and Sundays, maybe wash their hands a little bit. They don't uh-huh. use hardly any of the water. So I got on the Dallas County website, City of Dallas website. They're allotted 5,000 gallons of water a month before they hit their minimum usage. So I I went over in July, which I won't do next year because it's pointless, and I think my water bill was 50 bucks. Wow. Yeah, I pay $37 a month for water. It's a little bit of a pain walking back and forth to the church and hooking up the water hose and all of that, but I'm not going to complain. No, and that's that's those type of opportunities that if you didn't go over to help him, you would have never known. You still would exactly. have been water. Exactly. And we've helped each other out. One night I left the farm about 11 o'clock and I was going, you know, it's, it's my farm's down a dirt road. And so I was going up dirt road and so was all this water um, in the dirt road. I got out of the car and walked up to um, see where all the water was coming from. And the water was pouring out of a water sprinkler. And apparently the mower had moated, had hit the water sprinkler and not realized that the water had started pouring out of it. So, you know, I'm, there's tons of water coming out of the sprinkler head. So I called the preacher and I, he goes, oh, Mike, I'm in Arkansas. Is there any way you can go shut off the valve for me? So I said, yeah, sure. So I went and shut off the valve to a sprinkler system and everything that he never uses. I don't even know why it was on. The next day he called me and he goes, hey, thank you so much. You just probably saved me thousands of dollars because I won't be in town until Friday. And this was on a Monday. Oh, wow. So no one would have known that his sprinkler head was broke. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just, it's just being neighborly. You know, you get to know your neighbors and they you help them out and they help you out. And it all kind of works out in the end. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the, I'll say, more unique opportunities an urban farmer has over the classical rural one. Because 
I mean, a rural farmer, his neighbors may not be within miles of him. Yep. Which means he, while he does have relationships, it just isn't the kind where, oh, I, I drove on my way home and I saw that your sprinkler was broken. Can I help you fix it? Yep. Yeah. No, extra set of eyes help. You know, I'm not in the best part of Dallas either. So, you know, keep an eye on each other's stuff. And now that I'm there, I've seen a lot, or he said he's seen a lot less traffic going up and down that dirt road. You know, it doesn't really lead anywhere. So I'm sure there was some stuff going on down that dirt road shouldn't have been going on. But now that I'm there, you know, all the time, it seems like he said there's a lot less traffic, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. Now, I've also heard that a good portion of your market are vegans. How did that come about? In short, Instagram, to be honest with you. I'm a huge fan and follower of Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, Gary V, I don't know if you know who that is. I am somewhat familiar with him. Well, you should become very familiar with him because he will change your life. (laughs) (laughs) He's one of the main reasons why I I started farming, but that's that's a whole other story. Um, So... One of Gary, Gary V is a uh, social media marketer. Like he owns the largest social media marketing company in the, in the country. He, he does fortune 500 companies for uh, Instagram ads, Facebook ads, that kind of thing, not television or anything like that. And he goes all over the world talking about giving speeches, talking about how you should be advertising on Instagram and Facebook and producing content on Instagram, showing people what you do and how you do it. And, really get your face out there because people relate more with small businesses that they see and, and know like from Instagram, which is true. I'm the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he said, get involved with the hashtags. So I was like, okay, I can, I can figure this out. So I was scrolling through something one night laying in bed and I saw the hashtag Dallas vegan and I clicked on it. And it, when you click on a hashtag on Instagram, it shows you how many posts are with that hashtag. And there's like 400,000 posts of Dallas vegan. It's like, holy crap, there's that many vegans in Dallas? So for like three hours, I didn't go to bed till two that night. I was so excited. (laughs) I like, I hit the jackpot and I just started scrolling. I was like, God, these people are so passionate about their food. Like if you use the hashtag Dallas vegan, all you do is post vegan pictures of your food. That's it. All you do is post pictures of your food. So I started following these people and they would follow me back. And for some reason, I just did it one time. I, I text, I mess DM'd them and I said, hey, thanks for the follow. And they DM me right back and they said, hey, thank you. I love your page. I love your stuff, your pictures. How do I buy from you? And a light bulb just went off. I was like, this is it. Like, I don't have to do anything but lay in bed and click hashtag Dallas Vegan and start following these people. They follow me back. I send them a DM and 90% of the time I DM, Hey, thanks for the follow. I really appreciate it. They DM me back something like, where's your farm? I would love to buy local. Uh, you know, how do I buy from you? Something like that. And it just took off. I would 80% of my customers are vegans and they're so passionate about it. Like, I don't know anyone that's any more passionate about their lifestyle than vegans. Mm Mm-hmm. They want to tell the world. I was just reading uh, Captivate by Vanessa Van Edwards. And in it, it talks about basically just how to work with people. And one of the chapters was on 
uh, conversation and how, what are the things that are like people's hot buttons, trigger things for things that they care about. And shockingly, and, and this was like all the way on the bottom of like the, the top 10 things is literature, which made me sad because I love to talk about books. And like number three behind metal and band was vegan. Completely, I completely believe it. I'm surprised it wasn't number one, to be honest with you. I know more vegans than metalheads, so that that I guess does surprise me too. But yeah, I mean, people are passionate about what they because it is such a lifestyle. Well, they think they, and I don't mean this. This sounds bad. They think they're going to change the world. Mm-hmm. Like they they think going vegan is a step toward changing the world, and I'm not saying it's not. Mm-hmm. But I think that's why they have so much passion about it is because they think being vegan just isn't about eating plants. It's about saving animals. They think it's about saving the 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 climate and global warming. And they think if everyone was vegan, that global warming wouldn't would cease to exist. So I think that's why they're so passionate about it. It's it's just not what they eat. It's what they're trying to accomplish with it. They're actively making a difference with every choice. And I have to say, I think that's something that most of us make a mistake on is not many of us look at how we live that way. Each decision we make does affect the world around us in even a tiny way. Yep. Yep. Completely, completely agree. You know, and that's one reason why, like, I don't do a lot of money on my farm right now, but I do podcasts and I talk to people, I will talk to anybody that likes to garden and try to convince them to do what I'm doing because small scale farming, like what I'm doing, honestly, I think can change the agricultural community. Mm -hmm. If there's an, if there's enough of us, you know, there's, there's just not enough of us out there. Like I said, when we talked about before we started, there's only five farms and really five, farms in the Dallas County area. And I'm, I'm the least successful one of the five right now, but I'm also the only one that's doing really any talking. There's another guy that does a lot of podcasts and stuff, but they're just, they just want to get up and farm and make their money and love what they do. And that's it. I'm like, guys, we got to get out there because if Curtis Stone wouldn't have made all his YouTube videos, I never would have known about it. Like I, I never would have found it. I never would have known this was even a possibility to make money on such a small piece of land, you know, growing nine rows of carrots in a 30 inch bed, as opposed to doing one row of carrots and waiting two feet and doing another. Like people just don't know that. So when I tell people that they're like, oh, OK, I see. And then you can just see their mind working. Wait a minute. If I can grow nine rows of carrots in a 30 inch space, I can sell some of those and make money. Yeah. And so. I'm exactly, I guess I'm the same way as a vegan is. I think I can change the world by doing podcasts and getting information out there and, you know, trying to tell people, you know, and the, 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 the best thing about, about this stuff, Terrence, is the market, the demand for it is insane. Mm-hmm. Like I had to quit. And I honestly, the business side of farming is what I found I love the most, but I had to quit doing the hashtag and trying to get more people because I can't supply them. <laughs> Good problem got, to have. Oh, it's great. It's a great problem. Um, I did I did a, uh, a seminar at Dallas Veggie Fest uh, here last year, 
And I had about 20 people show up, explain what I did, told them exactly how to do it. And I was really encouraging them like, guys, if you love to garden, just scale it up a little bit, try these methods and sell some stuff. And I promise you, you'll, you'll really find out that you can make some money doing this and you already love doing it. So why not make money? And a, a lady at the end come up and told me, you know, I'm going to try it, but I have a question. Are you afraid that I'm going to take your customers? And I laughed and I, and I didn't even really put the math. Like I just said it without thinking. I said, honey, I need a hundred customers. Actually not even a hundred. I need 50 customers a week to buy from me. If I sell 50 customers a week, a $20 box, I make enough money to support myself. I need 50 people, honey. There's 3 million people in Dallas area. I'm not worried if you take five of my customers because I can go get 10 more tonight laying in my bed on Instagram. So no, I don't like, you don't understand the demand. People hate buying food from Walmart. Amen. They just don't think they have an, they don't think they have an option, nor do they know how good a vine ripened tomato is compared to what you buy in the, in the store. They just don't know because they've never had one. People in Dallas around me have never eaten a vine ripened tomato. And I can give them some of mine and they, they think it's candy. It's amazing how good food tastes when it tastes the way it's supposed to. Exactly. When it's, and what's scary is there, not scary, but scares me. So much of the produce, like tomatoes that's being grown and sold to Kroger and whatever that's grown hydroponically. And I don't have anything against hydroponics, but there's a definite taste difference between hydroponically and in the soil with the minerals and everything that they, like kids, like kids honestly don't know how good a tomato is because they've never tasted a real tomato. Mm -hmm. And I, I just want people to realize a, if you want to garden and you want to make money, the money is there to be take. Like it's like taking candy from a baby as own analogy goes. And two, once you get the systems down and you figure it out, it's, it's not hard work. You just have to figure out your systems for your exact space. Like my systems for my farm is completely different from the other four systems in Dallas that has a small farm, completely different, but they work for me. You just have to figure out what works for you in your backyard, what you like to grow and grow stuff that you like to grow. You don't grow stuff because you think you're going to make the most amount of money. You should be eating your own food too. So you kind of want to raise something you're willing to eat. Yeah. Like zucchini, that's a perfect, that's a perfect statement because I don't, I, it's stupid for me to grow zucchini because the plants get so big mm -hmm. and I only make like a dollar fifty a pound on the zucchini, you know, or, or about that, something like that. And they take up so much space, but me and my wife love zucchini. Like we, we cook it five different ways. We love eating it. So I'm going to grow it. People, you know, I got a couple of guys like, why are you growing zucchini? That, that, that bed right there of zucchini could make you a thousand dollars in lettuce and it's going to make you a hundred dollars in zucchini. Well, cause I like to eat zucchini. Yeah. I mean, there is an economics to it, but at the end of the day, you're doing it because you enjoy it more than anything else. Yep, exactly. So I, my next question was actually, how do you market your farm? And I think we kind of answered that. And I think yeah. it, it's really cool that you do it using social media. I'm curious. So you said that Gary V was a really big part of how you started the farm. Could you go in a little bit more in depth on that? He, he's uh, the reason why I started my farm. Um, I would say Curtis Stone is the reason is the how I started my farm because I use everything that he's told me to do. Gary V was the why 
um, I've been teaching 15 years and I got into teaching when I got done playing college basketball to coach. Like I wanted to be the next John Wooden and win 20 state championships in high school basketball. I was a basketball player. And after five years of it, I said, this is not what I want to do. Um, so I got into elementary PE because the hours were a lot better. I didn't have practice before and after school and tournaments on the weekend. So I did, you know, elementary PE and I've been doing it for 10 years and I'm bored to death. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm just bored with it. You know, there's only to- so many times I can tie a shoe or button a pair of pants because the kindergartners can't button pants or, you know, I'm just tired of it. And I've been not on a quest, but really trying to figure things out, you know, what I want to do. And I heard Gary V do a seminar and it's called, if anybody out there that wants to look it up, look up Gary V Smurf it up like the blue Smurfs. And we'll put it in the show notes. Smurf it up. And that video changed my life because he said in today's era, you can do anything you want to do and make $50,000 a year at it. If you're good at it, he goes, if you want, if you like the Smurfs, start a Smurf podcast, start a Smurf blog, do everything, be the Smurf guy for the world. And he goes, I promise you, you can make $50,000. So I got to thinking about it. That's how I found Curtis. And, you know, to this day, I still listen to, you know, Gary talk. Half of it's motivational. Half of it is, you know, tactics that you can do to grow your business. And his big thing is patience. And, and honestly, if I didn't hear him talk about patience, I probably would have quit by now because it's just been like one failure after another. But he's, but you know, he, he, he says all the time, you know, eat crap for five years. If you just stick with anything for five years and you put your heart and soul in it and you love it, it's going to, it's going to happen. Just keep at it. And, And that's what I've done. And I'm at two and a half and I can finally, I finally kind of figured things out, you know, what fits best for me and my situation. And it's starting to roll. So I hope one day I get to shake his hand and say, thank you, because I don't know what I'd be doing right now. If, you know, if I wouldn't have found his stuff and, and he hadn't motivated me to, you know, to try what I love to do. And that was garden. So I just took it, just scaled it up and turned it into a little farm. That five years is a good time frame. I mean, how rare is it for any of us to stick to something for five years these days? Some marriages don't make it that long anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, you know, social media is great, but I also think in the cell phone and everything, but it's taught, taught us instant instant gratification. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, there's there's so little patience in the world today. I mean, like, if your cell phone's running a millisecond slow trying to pull up a website, you get you get pissed. Like, why is my cell phone so slow? Where if we step back, used to, we had to go to the library, get dial-up internet, look at it. Like, I mean, it's just ridiculous how fast everything is today. And now we, you know, we, we take it for granted. So patience is, I think, a huge thing right now if you can just wrap your mind around it. Really, we don't want to wait for anything anymore. We are impatient. And the fact is, that's why it's so important to look at it as a long-term commitment and farming is nothing if not a a long-term plan it isn't a short-term solution and it changes all the time i i and i call it pivot change my business business plan i call it pivoting because it doesn't sound quite as flaky but (laughs) i like that i i pivot my business plan 
five times a day sometimes because I get so frustrated. Like the other night when I had the rabbits, the rabbit issue, it's like, you know what? Screw lettuce. I'm just growing tomatoes. They don't eat. They don't eat tomatoes. I'm just going to grow tomatoes. <laughs> so, um, the, 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 another big thing that, that Gary will teach you is macro patience, macro speed. So like every day you go a hundred miles an hour to get stuff done, but macro I've got five years to get this done. And that, 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 that really resolutes with me. Like every day I think about that work your butt off as much as you can today, but don't get impatient on the big, you know, on the big picture. The big picture is how much money am I going to make it in five years and how good of a machine is this farm going to be in five years? Now shifting gears here, because I do want to touch on this before we wrap up, but you also, you talked about playing basketball, being a coach. You're also a physical trainer. How did you get into the bodybuilding and physical training? Um, so I was a four, uh, I played four years of basketball in college. I was a fifth year senior, which you're not allowed to play five years. So my fifth year, I had nothing to do. Like I didn't have practice. I didn't have off season workouts. I had like two hours a day that for the first time in 20 years, I didn't have anything to do. And my body hurt from playing basketball. I was just not really burned out on it, but I just didn't want to go play for fun. So a roommate of mine at the time said, Hey, go work out with me. And I I was 175 pounds. Uh, at the time I was six foot, 175. And I was like, okay, I ain't got nothing else to do. And six months later I'd put on about 10 pounds. You know, the Pete, you know, Pete friends were like, yeah, you're, you're looking a lot better, Bell. You actually look like you got some muscle, blah, blah, blah. So anytime you get compliments, whether you're trying to lose weight or gain weight, it motivates you. Oh yes. So, <clears throat> so I graduated college. I'd put on about 15 pounds total, moved to Dallas and then went to the gym uh, with what at the time was my fiance and saw this guy and he was a bodybuilder, nobody famous or anything, but he just, he, he had that look and I was like, God, I want to look like that. And my wife just started laughing. She's like, honey, that guy's huge. So I was like, okay. So I put in the back of my mind, started reading and looking and doing some research. And of course the internet, you know, when O2 was, was beginning to really come about with message boards and forums and stuff. And just got involved in it, and I actually, a year later, I went up to that guy and said, hey, I want to compete. Not now. I know I'm not big enough, but I want to compete. He goes, I've seen you train. You train hard. Meet me here tomorrow night, same time, and you can train with me. And after that workout with him, everything just went to a whole new level. Intensity of my training, he started teaching me about food and nutrition and supplements and, and everything, and just caught the bug. It's like, anything you that you become passionate about you just catch the bug and whether it's farming or gardening or you know whatever it is and I, I caught the bug and really transformed my body I mean if you take a picture of me at 22 and now a picture of me at 39 is a hundred and you know about a hundred pounds difference wow in us yeah in us now and it's it, it's in the right spots you know I'm not I don't walk around like with a shredded six-pack or anything but I'm not fat you know, I got broad shoulders, you know, it's all in the right places. I've learned a lot. I learned a lot what not to do. So I just one day started, had a guy come up and say, Hey, do you train people? I said, yes, I do. And I'd never had before, but I knew I could. And it just kind of evolved into training people. I have a two and a half car garage that my wife, well, I, when me and my wife got married, I'd already had the house and already had my gym set up inside the garage of really good quality equipment. And I said, look, you're not getting the garage, park your car in the driveway, 
I make too much money training, you know, training out of here. I enjoy it. She said, no, that's fine. So I still train about 15 hours a week, uh, in my garage, you know, after school, Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, you know, two or three hours. And then a couple hours on Sunday, just train random people. Some people, you know, compete that I train. Some people just want to lose 20 pounds. Some, I have a couple guys wanting to gain 20 pounds. So it's just a nice little niche business that I really love to do. And it brings in a little bit of extra money and, you know, that's about it. Do you have any quick tips for anyone that's out there thinking, goodness, I really want to gain 20 pounds or my goodness, I really need to lose 50. Um, quick tips. Well, the first thing is you're not going to do it in any short amount of time. If you're going to do it the right way. Yes. You can take steroids and gain 20 pounds. Yes. You can take some really strong drugs to help you lose 50 pounds. But if you do anything quick, it's going to, the reverse is going to happen eventually. Like you have to build a foundation for what got you there. So if you want to lose 50 pounds, start tomorrow, walk two miles. The next day, either walk a little bit further or walk a little bit faster. You know, you do not have to run. I always, people always ask me, what's the best cardio? And I say, there is no best cardio. It's whatever gets your heart rate up. Your heart is the key to burning calories. If your heart rate's beating faster than it does setting in a recliner, then you're burning calories and you're doing a good thing. And they just look at me kind of funny. And I said, have you ever heard the phrase that sex is the best exercise? <laughs> and they start laughing. And I was like, it's kind of true because your heart rate's up. Yeah. Like, I promise you, all that matters is your heart rate. If your heart rate is up, you're burning calories. So you don't have to go run two miles. You can go walk to the stop sign, then jog to the next stop sign, and then walk back and forth. It doesn't matter. Um, and then, of course, food. You know, don't eat crap. Um, if, if you got a real bad sweet tooth, eat grapes. If you got a real bad sweet tooth, eat watermelon. Like eat your fruits to, you know, to divert to to keep away the the, the candy. I promise you that helps because I have a sweet tooth. Like God, I have a sweet tooth. So, I, but I've learned to eat fruits, and now I don't have to have candy. If I if I have my grapes on hand or watermelon or you know peaches or something, I'm perfectly happy. Um. Gaining weight is is going to be more about the food. You you have to increase your food. Um, and and while I'm thinking about it, if anybody wants to 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 hit me up and ask me questions on any of this fitness stuff, my contact I'm sure will be in the show notes. Don't I'm not going to charge you or anything like that. Hit me up, I'll help you. I don't mind. I got time. I sit in a gym all day with five year olds playing dodgeball. So like I don't, I can reply to an email or a text, so I can help you. But um, just, just like, don't expect nothing happens overnight. Like I've been training 15 years and I've gained about a hundred pounds. That's, you know, 15 pounds a year. That's oh, a little more than a pound a month. So if you can gain a pound a month, you're doing pretty well. If you can lose two pounds of more than two pounds a week to lose is probably not the best thing. Like when I help clients lose weight, I tell them two pounds a week and they just look at me like, God, that's not very much. But if you do it for two months, you've lost, you know, 15, 20 pounds. Mm -hmm. so, so it's a lot like what we were talking about with farming and Gary V. It's macro patience, micro speed. Yep, exactly. It's exactly. Do, do everything during the day, 100 miles an hour. Do it right. 
but at night, close your eyes and think about you. I tell people three months. Not fitness-wise, don't think about well, – I don't even know what tomorrow is. Don't think about tomorrow's date. Think about um, you know Thanksgiving. Like how am I going to look when I go to Thanksgiving dinner with family that I haven't seen in three months? I'm writing this down so we can put it in the show notes because I think that that's a really good way of looking at it. It isn't – tomorrow is an illusion. But three months from now, you know you've got a holiday event. You're going to see someone that you'd rather look better for. Yep, exactly. And, and, and there's balance. Like Balance is another big key. Like It's okay. You won't gain fat from one meal a week. So if you did really good all week, Saturday night, go eat. Like Enjoy your meal on Saturday night. It'll actually probably do you some good with your metabolism. Because when you don't eat crap, like sugars and fry and all that crap for five, six or seven days. Then you go do it one night. I always tell my clients on Saturday night, take your wife out to eat and go eat crap. You know, one meal. Well, after that one meal, you go home, you go to bed, you wake up the next day. You're going to look better. Surprisingly, you will look better and you're going to be hungry as you, you can't imagine how hungry you're going to be because your body goes into crack mode. I, I, I call it crack mode. Like it has, it hasn't had sugar for six and a half days. And now you're going to go eat, you know, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Your body's not going to store that. Your body's going to, your metabolism's going to go crazy. You're going to burn it all off plus more. And Sunday morning, you're going to wake up and you're going to want to like just eat everything because you're going to be hungry, which is a good thing. I mean, your metabolism's going, mm-hmm. but just go right back to your normal diet, have your three scrambled eggs and then have your chicken and broccoli for lunch. And then the next Saturday night, do it all over again. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for all these great practicals. Where can people go to learn more about you and your farm? Um, I have an Instagram page, Dallas Half Acre Farm. Uh, actually, it has an S on it, Farms. Dallas Half Acre Farms. And then um, if anybody wants to email me, it's uh, mbell971 at yahoo.com. I'll be you know, more than glad to answer any questions, whether it's farm, garden, fitness related, whatever. Uh, I feel, I feel so grateful to again, to again, to like Curtis and JM and Gary and all these people that put out all this information for free for us to use. And it's changed my life. So I feel like I should do the same thing for other people out there. And I've had some people that actually took it and is doing better than I'm doing now, which is kind of frustrating, (laughs) but it's, it's very rewarding to get an email that says, Hey, thanks to your guidance to get started. I'm now making $3,000 a month selling salad mix, you know, in Austin. I have a guy in Austin that's doing really well. I have a guy in Alabama that's doing really well. And I've, I just shared what worked for me and what helped me. And you know, it's, it's very gratifying. It's, you can't put a price tag on it. So I don't mind doing it. Well, thanks again so much for being on the show. All of that information will be linked in the show notes. Awesome, Bob. Well, thanks for your time, Terrence. I enjoyed it. We need to do it again. After the interview, I actually sat down and watched the new Peter Rabbit movie. And obviously much of it is horse hockey, but the links to which a farmer will go to to keep rabbits out of the garden, surprisingly accurate. Be sure to check out Michael's Farm on Instagram. That will be linked in the show notes. Big thanks again to Michael for being on the show. And thanks to Tom, Tom Domers from the Small Scale Life Podcast for suggesting those questions at the beginning. 
If you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast player choice is. If you need some tips on how to do that, check out our How to Leave a Review article page that's linked in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to subscribe for more farm fun. This has been Terrence Lehew and the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast reminding you to keep farming the dream.